Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Welcome, amazing humans, to this episode of Sister Speak with Dr. Emma J. Church. Um, I'm just so thrilled today to have really one of the heroes of Waco joining us. Um, She is an incredible community organizer, a passionate advocate for women and minorities and the oppressed, Um, she is a warrior and our paths have crossed many times, um, but we've not had the opportunity to sit and be vulnerable together, um, potentially in the way that we both have wanted to, um, until today. So I'm, I'm so thrilled to have Lilu on our podcast. Um, I know that she inspires many and will be inspiring us today, um, and I've already told her I have some some vulnerable sharing to give back to her um, after seeing her at an event a couple weeks back. Um, <clears throat> but we'll get there in due time. Um, but welcome, Lilu. It's so exciting to have you here. I am so excited to be here. Super excited. It's a, it's a, I'm thankful for it. It's one of those things like, you know, you don't know if you're ever going to speak out on other things besides at events and then get to have that really personal, intimate conversation with people so they get to know you more in depth from just, oh, that's Lilu from, that's Emma from, Mm -hmm. that's Hope from, you know, just all these women in Waco, like, so I'm excited. Yeah, there are the snapshots that we get Mm -hmm. of the other women that are, kind of in the club, in the tribe, the trauma survivors amongst Mm -hmm. us. Um, And usually it's not the messy. Mm -hmm. It's like just the I'm showing up and I've survived a thing. And so, you know, what you're speaking to, I really connect with personally. Like I know that people see me out and and still they don't know me. They don't truly know me. Exactly. Like that is how I felt for a long, long time. So it's nice that now that I'm in my 30s, late 30s, goodness, um, late 30s, like it's finally like people are finally starting to really know who I am, mm-hmm. you know, more than just, oh, that's Lily. She used to be classy class or mm-hmm. all these things. I actually have an identity. You do, <laughs> and you always have, but, yeah. but when people don't recognize or see that, mm-hmm. it's easy for us to forget that we do have an identity. We have a story. We are more than just Lilu from Classy. Mm-hmm. You know, we are complex individuals who have had pain and suffering. And and part of it for me is this, like, in the healing process, like, self-admiration of, like, holy shit, I'm real strong. Exactly. Like, and I, I wish other people could understand that. 
Um, but we get that opportunity today. Um, <laughs> and you are incredibly strong. And, you know, so much of your story I'll be hearing for the first time, too. And I'm really, um, I sit humbly with gratitude when people are sharing in a vulnerable way. Um, so tell tell us, <clears throat> the listeners and I, mm-hmm. kind of about the early years. I know you're, you're Waco born and bred, but, mm-hmm. but give us the kind of foundation for your life and, and the stories that you will be sharing. So I was born here in Waco. Um, I was put up for adoption at birth, all the things. Um, I was adopted by a great family. Um, they are also from Waco. Um, and it was really neat because my mom, she couldn't have kids and, um, she adopted my brother and he looks like her, you know, his blonde hair, blue eyed, whatever. And then my dad, he's German, but he is dark skin, black hair, olive complected like me. And so I've known I was adopted, you know, basically all since I was growing up. It wasn't a shock. <laughs> um, and so my dad always told me he was like, you were special. He was like, you were this special order. He's like, I prayed for a little girl that looked like me. And we had to wait a long time, but he finally came and I was born on Thanksgiving. So they always say oh. like I was his little Thanksgiving miracle. So um, really, you know, so I grew up out in China Spring. Um, I was a big nerd, really didn't fit in. <laughs> uh, shout out to the nerds, shout man, out to the right? nerds. <clears throat> I love me a nerd. <laughs> I was the band nerd, you know, mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff and you know, really always just been involved with music and um, in every single aspect of instruments and singing. And, you know, that was just, I was better at memorizing lyrics and music than I was at school, you know. Mm-hmm. So I was that kind of nerd. But, yeah, that's where I grew up. And then um, I ended up leaving China Spring for a lot of reasons. And then I graduated from um, Texas Christian Academy mm-hmm. is where I thought I would hate it in I actually, you know, I loved it there. It, it was surprise. It was shockingly um, comfort comfortable. Mm-hmm. It was very comfortable, and um, it was I was surrounded by a bunch of good things. And so, yeah, that's and then just later years, just kept growing. Got married real young, and mm-hmm. kids. <laughs> Would you mind sharing a little bit about leaving China Spring? It sounds like there was some stuff at that time that mm. that might have been challenging. Yeah, so um, as you know, um, a couple of weeks ago we did the uh, Women's Reproductive Rights March, and there were some counter-protesters there. And I just kept hearing this one guy just scream and scream and scream these awful things like I was going to hell and, Mm. or, you know, all the people and supporters there were just damned. And it just enraged me because when I was younger, I was actually raped, brutally, just raped. Mm -hmm. Um, And it turned out to be one of those decisions or I guess it turned out to be one of those actions that made me make a decision as a young girl. Um, 
And it's always something I've really struggled with because I'm a product of adoption. Mm. And, you know, getting to meet my biological family, not my mother, um, but my siblings, you know, they've told me how she just left them and, you know, the grandparents kind of raised them and stuff. I have two sisters and a brother. Um, you know, and it was this thing. She was just a wild woman. Like, she's not a nice woman. Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, my biological dad just begged her not to abort me. And she didn't. And so it was one of those things. It was just like, what, <laughs> what do I do? How old were you, Lulu? Uh, close to 16. Okay. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. and, you know, we're talking about our daughters and... You know, they're, they're getting older, and it's like when you meet a 16-year-old or when you imagine your daughter to be 16, it's so clear that they are a child. Mm. Oh, yeah, and it's just, we, we were just talking about our daughters, and, you know, I was saying Bryles is seven, and I mean, in eight years, that, you know, that was a time period, in eight years, just fly by. Yeah. I mean, it, every year goes faster, I feel like, once we're moms. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, it's, I'm very protective over her and my boys, um, you know, and I've raised my sons in a way and their dad is amazing. Uh, he has raised them very well as well, but my boys see like what we do, you know, women like us and how we Mm -hmm. speak up. And one of them gets a little bit more concerned. He's like, Oh my gosh, mom, there's crazy people. Please be careful. Like I worry and, you know, and, um. And then he's, they both are just like, I will never treat a woman the mm-hmm. way that, you know, has happened to you. Cause they've seen things, you know, kind of, I guess in relationships and, or a relationship in particular. Um, and then they see like what I talk about and it's just like, they're like, we want to be different. Yeah. That message of <clears throat> being careful about what you talk about when you're someone who, does talk about the vulnerable parts of your life is to me um I know it comes from a place of care and concern Mm -hmm. but it's also a frustration I think my dad is uh always like be careful be careful and it's like you know but this is my life Mm -hmm. and we are always vulnerable Mm -hmm. and whether I talk about it or don't talk about it there will be rumors there will be judgment there will be whatever and so you know, kind of owning your own narrative and, and sharing your story um, so that people, if they want to seek to understand, can. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think about you as like a 15-year-old mm-hmm. being raped and the trauma of that and then <clears throat> having a pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And as I said, like, that's a child. You are a child. Oh, yeah. Um, did you make that choice by yourself were there adults that were supportive kind of how did it Um, end up happening for you so it was basically one of those things you know and I talked to some people at I was born and you know raised in built in a church and you know I have as an adult I have a lot of resentment with churches or Mm -hmm. not churches but like one in particular um because it was almost like, well, this is a blessing. There's going to be something that comes good out of this. And I get it, you know. There are people 
that I almost feel program themselves to believe that. But until the actual experience and actual waking up every day and realizing what's gone on, you can never say that to anybody. And even, you know, it's even, to me, it's one of those things like, not every pregnancy is wanted, and I get that. And, you know, I know other people get that. And not everybody shares my same thing, but it's just like you don't know what they wake up to every day. Right. You don't know the life that they have to walk in every day. And that's why I'm such an advocate for reproductive rights is because, you know, is it preventing another tragedy? Is it, and that's nobody's decision. It's like I told Floetic when she was, she wrote a poem and I talked to her on the phone and I was telling her my story and I was like, it is nobody's decision except for that woman and her God Mm -hmm. because it's something that nobody else can feel and they can't, I mean, even though you talk about it, like, you still just can't really set in their mindset of what is going on. So there was a little bit of hostility towards everything. And when I, you know, just, I couldn't do it. Like I just, I couldn't, I, I couldn't walk every day as a, <laughs> a young child, a young woman growing up, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't do it. And so um, I went to Planned Parenthood in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, they wouldn't be allowed in Waco. So went there and, you know, that's what I want to let a lot of people know. It's not like, and, um, you know, I tell them, it's not like you walk in and you're like, excuse me, I'd like to procure an abortion. Right. And it's not a spa. <laughs> it's not fun. No, it's no. Yeah. And it went, it was hours of counseling, um, making sure that that is the decision, the route that I was going to take. Um, you know, it's this, you walk in and you sit and they, t- like I said, counseling and counseling, and then you start the process and then it's even more counseling, um, before you actually really do it. And, um, it's funny talking about it. You know, you hear like, I'm like, I hear the sounds. Like I remember walking in the door and what the paneling looked like. And, um, this, you know, just, it's crazy what comes back to your mind. But, um, especially when something is traumatic, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the, the rape was significant trauma, but also an abortion is a traumatic experience. It is, it is. And it's just, um, you know, I quit remembering the day because it was so long ago but um you know before the um, the rally and uh, it was October 2nd and uh it you know we started planning I think we only had three to f- or four weeks like we had to get it together really fast because we didn't you know, I was helping plan a Dallas march. <laughs> and then, like, all these people wanted to do Waco. And I was like, okay. And then Dallas was like, do it, do it, do it. But um, it was actually, a, it was, like, 
little bit before October. And it, it made me remember the day. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, like I haven't thought about that in at least 10 years, you know, because I've moved on. I've I've started, you know, I've healed a lot. And um, it's just one of those things that it's funny how when I finally decided to talk about it, I've had moments where I just, you know, my daughter is with my parents or, you know, her other grandparents. Um, and there's moments when I'm alone and, you know, it hits me. Mm-hmm. I think about, it's not like you just have an abortion and you just completely forget because we try, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, I, I, I definitely try, but, um, you think about how old they be. Um, you think about maybe the date that when they were supposed to be born and, you know, that's, that's a lot of the stuff that I think women that have been through it, you know, they don't get a chance to say that. It's not like, it's not like it's done and then it's just deleted out of your compute, (laughs) you know, you you live with that story and you live with that life Mm -hmm. that, um, couldn't be brought to fruition for all number of reasons. I mean, for you, I just have so much compassion for this 15 year old version of you that, you know, as a rape survivor, as an adult, it broke me, but I just can't even imagine the pain of that. And then, you know, being a mom, pregnancy is no joke. Like, it is rough on the body. It is hard. I mean, I I had three quite traumatic birth experiences. Um, Winnie's was the lesser of the two, three traumatic. But, um, you know, and and asking a 15-year-old, to walk through all of those things and then the life after and trying to care for or even the giving it's it's too much to ask and yet it's asked all the time Mm -hmm. of women in all sorts of situations with no thought about the ongoing needs should should she carry the child should she keep the child should Mm -hmm. she give it up for adoption whatever it's just this like snapshot in time where people feel they can judge, make a judgment, and that Mm -hmm. they're right. Um, And kind of as you said, like, if you've not been through it, Mm -hmm. you can never understand the emotional toll of any one piece of this this complex story. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people know um, Carrie uh, that owned Classy Glass and stuff. And I've known Neil probably since, I don't know, school but you know I'm a lot closer to her in a lot of ways and I'm not disrespecting my mom it's just or my mother that she's embarrassed by a lot of what I do Mm -hmm. um there was some other traumas in my growing up that I've recently decided to just completely stop um I don't have a relationship with my brother um, because it's just like all these things, I've just, I'm tired. Yeah. I mean, I just turned 37. I, 
I've done a lot in my 30s to that I'm proud of that you know I've had a lot of support from Carrie and I call her mom because she is like a lot of ways she's my mom and people think Neil and I are twins it's really funny and she's like yeah they're my kids and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just I finally just just finally decided to be selfish with myself good um finally <laughs> yeah and you know like from my brother he's like just really just you know we're adopted and all the things and so to get him to leave me alone it's almost like I was like we're actually not brother and sister Mm -hmm. so back off like you're not gonna disturb my peace I've had enough Mm -hmm. I've dealt with it for you know and so there were those things also I kind of won't go into because I don't know but really rough on my parents Mm -hmm. really rough on me um not physically but physically for my parents it was awful and you know I have those flashbacks too and you know you think you know people until some people have just finally had enough and decided you know what maybe it can help somebody I don't know um physical abuse you know I saw it growing from a certain teen age on my own parents Mm -hmm. and it's just like is he well? No. Um, is he a bad person? No. Are there mental things like um, just that aren't his fault? Yes. Yeah. Um, but it's just like the denial of it from him. And I look at my parents, I'm like, am I crazy? Like, I mean, I really feel like I'm going crazy. Am I, am I crazy? Did I make, is all this? And, you know, it's just like, no. Yeah. You know, and then, I mean, it's been very recent in the last few months where he's come at me and, and in a way he's like, what's your problem? You got a problem with me? And I'm like, no, I just don't. I choose not. Just go away. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there are, I mean, this is kind of a, a colloquialism, but like the haters. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, like there are people, the haters that will want to silence you or gaslight you or argue you out of reality and your story but you know I hear you kind of choosing yourself Mm -hmm. um the selfishness I I think for women selfishness is so important um it is has been made to be a dirty word Mm -hmm. um but in, in the country, the patriarchal culture that we live in, and especially I think that's enhanced in the South, mm. where women are made to be servants and helpers and caregivers from the second that they're born, um, and that any act of self-care, self-love, self-preservation, owning one's truth is, is viewed as selfish. Um, it, it's really hard for women to own own their stories, own their lives, mm-hmm. make choices for themselves that benefit them. And and I invite, I'm like, be selfish. It's not a dirty word. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's, it's part of what healing means mm-hmm. is to finally start to put your needs as a priority. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it really is. Because, I mean, <laughs> Thanksgiving, you know, like my boys were with their dad and then my daughter was with um, her other grandma. And uh, I just... You know, my family invited me, and it's just like, 
No, I'm good. I'm just I'm good. I just want to sit at home by myself, and I'm fine with that. And, you know, it's not like I don't want to be around them, but, you know, I've, I've made a decision where I don't want my peace interrupted, and I feel like being around certain people, it's going to be interrupted because mm-hmm. I don't like you mm-hmm. <laughs> for, for good reason. And it's just like, you know, I'm finally okay with saying that. I'm just, you know, I've always been a pleaser and tried to be nice and just just always just be a pleaser, and I'm just done. I'm a great person. I'm a good host. But if I don't like you, I don't have to be rude to you. But I don't have to, like, sit there and, like, be in your presence. Yeah, you don't have to engage. And you don't have to tolerate it or be around it. And, you know, the the term for this is boundaries, everyone. (laughs) This is the theme of maybe the year slash my whole life um, Mm -hmm. is, like, learning boundaries. And sometimes the boundaries are like physical proximity like I choose to not be near you Mm -hmm. because it is detrimental to me and that you know regardless of what you are wanting I just have to take care of myself in that way but even gosh I'm so glad that you said about um this your kind of second mom kind of being embarrassed about you talking about things or kind of being openly who you are sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I relate, I relate strongly to that. I, I have talked about it before, but like my mom is one of the great love stories of my life. I am passionately um, in love with my mom. I think she's wonderful, but also, you know, I kind of am the black sheep of the family, and she hates tattoos and colored hair, and <laughs> like the fact that I speak the truth about things, and even like talking about her. I, I mean, I love her. This is the message. I love her, but I know that as I do this work, um, that you are also doing in the community and here with me today. Like, I get this like cringiness because I don't want to. I don't want to hurt or disappoint her. However, I too am done holding back secrets, having skeletons in the closet. Mm -hmm. You know, I think when you have a certain degree of trauma, um, there is this tipping point where you just say, I'm not going to take on the shame Mm -hmm. that people will want to place on me. You know, there's this victim-blaming culture with lots of different traumas, whether that be abortion, rape, domestic violence, whatever. Um, So I'm sorry if if it hurts or embarrasses you, Mm -hmm. but this is part of me being connected and in relationship with myself mm-hmm. maybe for the first time and I'm 39 so we're like right there in this <laughs> you know 40 is the new freedom I don't know for, for women I, I find a lot of us are really coming into our own and blossoming in our late 30s 40s 50s kind yeah. of finally done with the bullshit and it is it's just and I think a lot of women too you know like with everything and it it's you know, talking about it now, it's it's crazy because it's like, oh my god, I've had all these traumas and like, what in the hell? But you know, we have all these traumas, and it's just like, screw it. Like, I've just, I've always my my biggest thing, and I think that's why I got married so young and had babies so young. I was twenty one when I had Clayton and Kylan. Um, is because I really, I mean. Looking at it, like, deep down, I know that my first husband, he didn't love me. It was one of those things of convenience, and then we had the twins, and, you know, I've always wanted to be loved. Yeah. And, you know, 
I'm single and, you know, all these things. And I've always just, I want to be protected and I wanted, I wanted to be loved. And I've, and I've, you know, given parts of myself and my life and it's always just backfired. And then now, you know, I'm 37 and it's just like, I love my kids. I love the fact that no, I, I mean, I have this huge fear that I am going to die alone. And, and it's because I'm a single woman. And, but at the same time, I'm starting to really get comfortable with the fact that that could happen. Mm-hmm. But I'm really just starting to love the way my daughter looks at me mm-hmm. and the way that my sons just embrace me. And I, I've always loved that. But it's starting to heal parts of me that I didn't know were there, like from years of trauma, um, (laughs) rape, abortion, and just failed marriages. And I loved my husband. My second husband was my life, like everything to me. And it just, you know, it completely came in shambles. And, you know, that nearly killed me. Mm-hmm. I thought that I would not recover. Um because I was like he loved me, he knew all this, he knew everything about me. There wasn't, you know, any hiding anything and where I felt like I was like don't talk about that, don't talk about that. You know, he actually knew everything. And so I was just like this is it. And then it turned out not to be it. Um what happened in that relationship, do you think? So, um, he was always alpha in previous relationships, and he had been married, too. Um, and I think that me coming into my own, and then I've also always just been a very personable person. I've been in the bar industry since I was a teenager. Um, you know, all these things, a lot of people know me. And then Classy Glass, that really set off, um, you know, and we would go out and he would just be like, F, you know, do we have to talk to every effing person? Like, you know, does everybody have to come up to you? And I was like, it's not a big deal. Like, you know, and then he'd be really nice at home and then he would just be a complete asshole to me Mm -hmm. in public. And, you know, it was just belittling. And then it would be he loved me and then it'd be more belittling that turned physical. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, he had this imaginary idea that there was a relationship with another person in the industry. Um, that person was a great friend, still is a great friend to me. Um, I love that person very much, but I mean, once that was fixated, it just turned super even more physical. Um, And so I just remember one night that we were fighting, and I was like, you know what? I really wish I would have slept with him. At least maybe it would be worth all this effing fighting, you know? Um, And so when that happened, it got super physical. Um, The next day I went to work. The next few days I went to work, and then I was taking a bath, getting ready you know, a few days later, and I passed out in the bathtub. Um, he took me to the premier ER, and um, I couldn't, I've never passed out before. 
And that was the most terrifying, most awful. (laughs) It hurt everything. Just, you know, I didn't know what was wrong with me. Um, They did a, what is a CT scan. Mm -hmm. Um, And I was hemorrhaging internally. I had a ruptured spleen and I had been bleeding out, you know, internally for days. And was that subsequent to the fight? Mm -hmm. Wow. Yeah, it was, um, it was, and, uh, you know, and even after it happened, like right when it happened, I remember he said either call the police or shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. And so I went, got on the couch, took some Tylenol PMs and I went to work the next few days. And, and then, you know, when we're in the hospital, um, he's like, I understand if you have to tell. And I, I didn't tell. I lied, and they knew I was lying. Carrie, um, a lot of people from Classy Glass, especially um, Naomi. I don't know if you know Naomi Amador. She uh, she came into the ICU, and I remember she's you know she, we've worked in the bars industry together for a long time, and she's just this fantastic woman, fantastic mom, you know, and um. She just looked at him and stared at him. And my my mother and then mom, Carrie, they were also in the emergency room. And I was so out of it. And Naomi was just like, it took everything in me to not just, I knew he did it. Like, um, so Carrie got her out of the ICU because she just got so upset. And then I got moved into a different room. And uh, Carrie was just, she went, because she's a doctor too. And um, she went and she talked to the nurses and she's like, dude, he did this. Like, he did this. And um, the nurses were just like, you know, you got to, she has to be the one to say it. And, you know, now looking back on it, Yes, he is a good dad to our child. Um, he's never, ever gotten loud or, you know, aggressive with her. But I really wish that I would have done something about it. Yeah. And there's a lot of parts where I hate myself because he's not a good person to me. Um, no matter how hard he tries or I try. I feel like we both kind of try to be civil and all the things, but then there's so much hurt. It'll be good for a while. And then it'll just turn into an absolute shit show of a train wreck. And, um, and it's, you know, it's just, I wish I would have spoken up for myself even in, you know, I was what in my early thirties with that sort of abuse, you know, that, and it starts to happen slowly over time. And then, you know, the trajectory oftentimes is it becomes very dangerous physically mm-hmm. for a woman, but it starts with small things like the insults and the controlling that you were talking about. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you having this life where people knew and respected you was a threat to him. And and so because it kind of happens slowly and there is love there, it's so hard as the woman being abused to think to speak up because you want to protect 
the person you love who also just happens to be your abuser. Mm -hmm. And then oftentimes there's gaslighting, like that didn't happen or it's not as bad as you think from your partner. And so it's the hardest thing to speak up. The fact that you are talking about it now is miraculous, but, you know, just my heart hurts for the the part of you that... um, wishes or is critical of yourself that you didn't because it's the most terrifying hardest thing it's awful and I think that's how I felt you know about my rape too because I mean I did not talk about it and but before I get into that I will say that you know I wasn't this perfect little wife I was an asshole too I mean I talked back I fought back and there were it was this toxic I mean I was like he literally said I feel so bad because I made you into this mean person you weren't mean like this and he did I mean like I I was mean Mm -hmm. I I mean here with my mouth and I use my words and um so he he endured as well it was both of us but not talking about it and not, you know, wishing I would have done something different. You know, that's what I did for a long time. And so it's like, it's like with each decade of my life, I've had this thing happen. And it's just like, why does this keep happening? But I really do feel hopeful that because I've never, (laughs) I've never told that story publicly about my ex. And so that's crazy. And, you know, I'm kind of like, Oh God. (laughs) <laughs> you are you are modeling and I'm you know I'm going to share something real soon because it, it is about domestic violence this vulnerable thing I wanted to share with you where I have those fears too I'm like who's gonna listen and what are they gonna say about it and blah 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 um and yet you know we kind of laid the the framework for this earlier in our conversation but you know it's just the story it's just the truth Mm -hmm. and sometimes the truth is really hard to look at and you are modeling beautifully um compassion for the people who've harmed you Mm -hmm. and an understanding that you know there there are two people involved and so whether that's um, you know, you fought back and you know you were part of the, the toxicity there or You know, whether that's, you know, when I think about holding myself responsible for my own abuse and failed marriage, um, my my side of the street that's dirty that I've had to clean up is that I never spoke up for myself. Mm -hmm. I never um, I just obeyed every uh, demand or (laughs) command or whatever. Um, I had no backbone. I was an enabler. And, um, you know, I do realize that because of that, I allowed my ex-husband to develop into the abuser that he became because there was no boundary there. Um, And then when I did finally start to recognize, I think it was four years before the divorce, that I finally started to think, like, this is not, I'm going to have to divorce him. And that thought was terrifying. Um, but still four more years went by because the facing the truth of it. And like, I didn't have the skill set to, 
to fight back or stand up for myself or set boundaries. Um, and things got worse and worse and worse. But, you know, I was a participant in the dynamic that happened. Um, and, and I have learned to forgive myself and, and not blame and shame myself. And, um, but it is hard to speak the truth knowing that other people might be offended by truth. Yeah. Yeah, it, it really is because, you know, there's parts of me that hate him. But then there's there's parts of me that hope he forgives me too. Yeah. Because, you know, as husband and wife, we're supposed to help each other be the best parts of each other mm-hmm. and then make up for what the other one lacks. Mm-hmm. And he's not a monster monstrous things were done but deep down in my heart I don't want to believe that that's just him yeah because I've seen how he looks at our child and um you know I see his mom sent me this picture and I I sent it to him and I said wow like she didn't even send it to him. She just sent it to me. And I just said, wow. Because the way that this little girl is just so in love with this man, her daddy, it was it was a beautiful picture. And there's so many parts of me that hate him mm-hmm. and I'm hurt. But I think, like, to get on, like, I have to, you know, I just – I got to let it, I don't let it go. I forgive the act. Mm-hmm. I'll never let it go. Yeah. Um, oh, it's it's a piece of you. Yeah. And this is forgiveness that, you know, survivors of various types are typically like right out of the gate mm-hmm. asked to forgive. Mm-hmm. And that is never helpful. That helps no survivor of violence. Um, but over time as we heal, the forgiveness comes from within mm-hmm. As we forgive ourselves and we forgive, we we need to forgive to give ourselves freedom. Yeah. And so, you know, it's a beautiful thing because when people hold on to the pain, then the hatred can consume them. And that's what happened with me. I mean, it, it really did. I couldn't let it go. Like, I couldn't let things he did go. I couldn't even move on. I kept harping on him. I kept harping on him about them and just consistently reminding him. And, you know, I'm not a perfect, I wasn't perfect. And it's just, so now it's just, you know, I just want that. I just want peace. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. I don't care if you hate me. I really just don't give a shit Mm -hmm. anymore. And, you know, the people that know everything and, you know, now your listeners know my whole story as well. Um, you know, it's just, Carrie always tells me that, you know, I've been through some like smaller things and the way I deal with it is I just ignore it. I'm just like, okay, whatever, you know, I'm mad, whatever. And she's like, no, you can't do that. You know, um, she's like, you don't know what they're going through right now. And this is what she just told me like a couple of days ago. Like there was something that had happened with work and somebody was upset with me and thought that I did these, you know, whatever. 
And I was so offended by the fact that they would think that, that I was just like, you know what? Screw it. I'm just not even going to respond. And uh, I told her about it. And she's like, you know, take a breath, take your time. And she's like, but you know that that person's going through a really hard time right now. And they don't handle things in a correct way. And you've been a part of their life for a long time. And, you know, that was your footstep into this next venture that you're doing. And so, you know, and I still haven't text that person back, which I need to do. I've just been trying to gather my thoughts. But, yeah. you know, it's, she has so, and I go, I'm just like, God dang it. I hate mm-hmm. it when you give me this sound of reason because I do want to be a good person. Yeah. I do want to, well, I want to be better. And, you know, um, and so she always has this little, she's the voice in my head that's just like, really think about it and, you know, choose your words and you don't have to be their best friend. You don't have to see them, but she's like, you will respond because it could really heal that person. She goes, think about where you've been. And I'm just like, okay. Yeah. This is the cycle that we are in (laughs) as people who have been wounded and are aware of our woundedness and what that has done to us is this call to, oh shit, like, Okay, this is just a human being. And, and yeah, I get to set boundaries and say, hey, when you talk to me like that, mm-hmm. it is harmful, and I will not allow that. However, I understand that you're going through things. I'm grateful for the things that you have meant in my life. Yeah. But from here on out, this is not a way that we can engage. Or So it's like this love and compassion with boundaries yeah. and and the boundaries honor your own feelings. Yes. Because I'm over here being like, <laughs> if Lulu mad, she gets to be mad. <laughs> like that's probably totally legitimate. Yeah. And then it's like we take this moment to pause. Mm-hmm. And as you were saying, gather your thoughts. We don't act from that place because that's, you know, that's how abuse happens. Mm-hmm. People don't think they just have an emotion and then they projected or acted out onto somebody else um it can be so exhausting to live this way (laughs) but probably you find too that when you go to sleep at night you can you can rest with yourself knowing like I'm in my integrity I'm I'm not going to perpetrate more pain onto the world just because people are perpetrating pain onto me and it's just kind of walking and I mean with everything like you know you've been through experiences and it's just like sometimes I just wanted to shut off and just be like I can't deal with this like it's just too much and Mm -hmm. it's kind of learning to forgive the planet because it's come at you in so many ways you know different types of energy different Mm -hmm. people that you've met that have just nearly destroyed you and it's I just, I can't, you, you've seen me. Like, I love people. Yeah. I love talking to strangers. I You light up. I love I watching do. you. I love people watching you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, look at Lilu flutter around and just with the biggest smile and like the most embracing, loving energy for every person that you're talking with. Yeah, that's just like, I think that's my love language is like anybody I see, um, especially Wendy, Wendy Gregg. She is one of my best friends. Um, and it's really funny. We only met like two years ago. Um, so we met two years ago. And ever, at first, I don't think she was sure about me. I think I was a little too peppy for her. Um, she laughs at that because 
she just thinks it's funny. I was like, but you're so emo and cool, you know, <laughs> like in your checks and all the things. But our friendship really developed. And the one thing that like Eduardo Moreno, he caught a picture of us in this COVID world. And she has a Lost in Waco magazine in her hand. And we were at Eastside. And there's this picture of her and me. And it's in this hug. And you just see her eyes closed. And it. I think we literally stayed like every time we see each other, we just hug at least for a minute. And I don't, we don't care what, who, where, where we are, who's around. It's one of those things I feel like some women become your sisters. Yeah. And, you know, you go through things and sometimes like a lover or a partner, it's just one of those things that they can't heal you the way sometimes your best friend, another woman, a sister, um, it's just that embrace where you feel like you can just (sighs) and cry or not cry, but just that breath. That is one of the things that has just saved me through all this you know it's women like her and that intimacy and I I'm imagining those hugs that I experienced too mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm like in my woo-woo way I'm like <clears throat> I'm gonna open my heart chakra on the way <laughs> and then I'm gonna pull this person in and their heart's gonna open to me and then you feel this intimate intimacy mm-hmm. that is not about ownership like in in maybe our relationships from the past that were romantic kind of like I own you yeah it's just an appreciation and an entering into a loving space where you can be adored and adore without ownership or you know expectation yes yes that's exactly what it is it's just it's it just makes my heart like almost flutter you know there's a handful of people like I have like you like we have we know all these people, but they're like a handful that I could just name out right now. Eduardo, Wendy, Carrie, Sal, um, Jessica. I mean, those are the people that I just could not get by, you know, because there's those moments and it's sometimes just a simple hug or something like that. But it's amazing, like after so much trauma and you meet these good, genuine people. Do you agree with them all the time? Absolutely not. We pretty much agree on everything, but <laughs> but it's just that's what you know. Meeting you, meeting Cheryl, that um, you know, f- I met her f- four years ago, and um, you know, these walks and getting to be with these women, putting this march together. Yeah. It was. I was like, I don't think we can do it. <laughs> I mean, I really don't know. And then it all just fell together and. You know, great things happen with like-minded people that you can grow from and grow with as an adult. It's like being a child, but, (laughs) you know, it's just, it's this whole new life. It's like a rebirth. And that's really what these last four years have been. It's just a rebirth. Well, and you're probably finding, and I, I so strongly relate to this, like just always wanting to be loved. Um and then, you know, as single women in our late 30s, finding that that love that has been so hard to find and have and hold and keep, 
can come from so many different people mm-hmm. and it's not romantic love necessarily, but it is the stuff. It's the stuff of what we've been longing for. Yes. And each hug pours a little bit more into, into our, your cup. Mm-hmm. And my cup is not full. No, it is not full. Um, I need more. <laughs> I always need more love. But it is something. Yeah. And it's so easy in this culture as women to define our worth by our um, status as a partner mm-hmm. to someone. And like, well, I'm I'm worthy because this person has chosen me mm-hmm. as a life partner. And it's like, well, maybe I'm worthy because all of these people that I love and admire choose me. And we don't live together. We don't. But. But there's connectedness and love and appreciation there that I can draw from. So that that night at Analog, here's my here's my vulnerability. Um, Ready, you know, knowing that you are a survivor of domestic violence, and I didn't know you were going to be there speaking tonight, but um, that's part of kind of my story of that event. The last Analog I had been to, I was married. It was shortly before the divorce. Um, and a lot of people, I wasn't allowed to have friends and that's part of, um, narcissistic abuse and kind of isolation, but we'd started attending a church. Um, I have quite a bit of spiritual church trauma, but I, I felt like this church was different. It's the hipster church in town. And, you know, I, I had a place there. I, people respected me and, um, we they're the types of people that go to analog (laughs) right (laughs) russ and i went um before before the divorce and i had i'd done an open mic like shared a little story and um i remember asking him like are you proud of me because it was vulnerable and he was like you just like to have the attention i'm like okay um but you know as as my divorce proceeded um and kind of the the falling apart of the marriage the church was used by him to further harm me and and um I'm not a perfect person and uh, after I shared with Russ that I was divorcing him um I did have a romantic relationship for a very short period of time um and you know these are things I'm not proud of but I understand um, when you're deprived of love, kindness, and affection for a decade and someone offers you something and you're traumatized, it's like you find yourself doing things you wouldn't normally do. And um, But Russ used that to eviscerate my reputation and um, told the church leaders all number of things about me. And they were my friends. Um you know, I wasn't allowed to have friends, so I had worked. I'd been working out of that church, and so these. This was the only community I had. I led a small group in my home for a number of years with another couple, and um, so I'm deeply in trauma. Um, the five months after I told him I was divorcing him, he would not leave the home, and that was probably the most intense trauma of the entire relationship and abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, during that time, um, but I was so isolated because he had turned everyone from my community against me, and 
Um, even though I'd been saying, you know, I think I'm being abused for about a year before this all happened. And, and they believed him and they judged me and they asked me to leave as an elder and never talked to me again. And so the theme of analog that night was the time you felt most alone. Yeah, it was, uh, not alone. Not alone. And I walked in and I immediately see, um, the person I had had the relationship with. Um, and then I see at a table, my small group that I had led there. Um, and I was there with, with a safe, safe friend, our dear friend Milo. Oh my gosh. I'm interviewing them on Friday. Really? I'm very excited. I'm very excited. But I was pretty triggered um, by that and then by by the fact of the topic of, of the night because I was completely alone. It's not that I felt alone. I had no one. My family is international and um, and long distance, and I dealt with the most severe pain and trauma and psychological abuse of my life um, during that time. And in the subsequent years after, I've, I've built friendships. As you know now, I'm like, I feel like a, a real person. Yes. <laughs> like I have people that know and love me, but I didn't have that three years ago. And so to sit in that room with those people there, um, knowing that they had participated in in my abuse, um, and also knowing that they believe that I'm the bad guy. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just so triggering. And I remember, so I wrote a note in my phone, and this is before you came up to speak. Um, but my note was like, I was imagining, like, what if I was up there? speaking tonight because the invitation was for vulnerability and I said I've been vulnerable enough in this town as people in this room watched me be abused stood by and refused my outreach hands my begging my pleading for protection for my children and I I don't need to be more vulnerable tonight it's time for them to hear their own story of standing by and watching a woman be abused defrauded and defamed while they cloaked in fear and in their Christian ideals focused on erasing me from their lives the five years of service and friendship, as if I never existed, left to die a thousand deaths, alone, traumatized, raped, begging for dignity. Um, and then you got up to speak. <laughs> and um, I was, and this is vulnerable because it's a, an ugly feeling, but I was jealous of your story of I was alone, but I had these people mm. that are here in this room. I was like, I was just alone. Um, and then I don't I don't even know why, but I, I was also so proud of you for sharing. But you mentioned my name I did. as someone that was important. <laughs> and for me to be in that space with those people <laughs> and the history and their judgments of me and their not knowing. And I have been accountable for all the wrongdoings I've done, but to have someone say in front of them that I'm important just really touched me. I had no idea. Um, I remember I looked, I mean, Carrie was there, Brian was there, and those were my classy glads. Sal was there at Bordeaux and Wendy. 
But I looked at you, and I had just met Milo um, through the rally, and I just remember when I first met you, I, it, it was over at Katie's, and um, it was Travis Scott's birthday party. You were in a white dress, and you looked fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I just remember this, you know, you telling me what you did and, you know, all these things, and and then I remember just kind of getting to get to see you in different areas. And then it was just always such as positivity. And you have these beautiful teeth. And <laughs> <laughs> it's just this, it is, it's just such a feel-good smile. But there was something with you that just, we'd hug and, how are you? And it was always just this positivity. And it was something to me that there was like, there's something with her where we connect. And I'm not quite sure what it is. But, you know, that night at Analog, I just remember I was tearful, and I remember some of days I'd be so sad and just so, you know, everybody else is busy. But then I look down, and I see you, and you're just looking at me, and I was just like, because of you. It's the smallest increments of a showmanship of friendship that mean everything to me and you know to a lot of people but you are important and I think I called you out twice because <laughs> I just it's it's a light and you see it in people and I think people that are victims and that have actually had I know every what I've learned from everyone I've met is that there is some type of trauma that's happened I yeah. can't believe it that it is such a common occurrence but <clears throat> everybody I've met has almost just and you think wow and I and I get upset you know about what I've been through and then you hear about what they've been through and it's just it's a light and you can see it in people and you can see people healing and you can see people trying because like you said, you know, from your church or whenever you had this relationship, I think I'm still in this relationship where this person just loves me so much, but it just can't happen right now. Mm -hmm. And when I said I love my husband, I really did. But the type of love that I have for this other human now, um, I just can't picture my life without him. And, but it's not plausible right now. Is it supposed to be happening? Probably not. But, you know, we make mistakes. Yeah, we do the best we can. And when we know better, we do better. And, and you are. <laughs> I mean, like, look at what you're doing right now, sitting, talking to me. You know, you're doing this podcast and, you know, people, I don't go to church. I, I won't go to church because I hate, and I do, I hate using that word, but I hate um, a couple of particular churches here. Um, I'm sure everybody knows it's probably Antioch. Um, <laughs> We've already covered Antioch on this podcast, but I want to do a whole series on it. Oh, we should, we should. But you know what? It's also the fact, I don't think it's that I hate the people. I think it's their actions of what they've come to believe is goodness. That's what disgusts me. 
And, you know, we're not perfect. You and I, we're far from perfect. We do disgusting things. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, but you know what? We are out there trying to make a difference. Mm -hmm. And one day I want my daughter and I want my sons to just be like, you know what, Mom, I'm so proud of you. And um, for speaking on things that aren't common, it's a taboo, it's awkward, it's painful, it's traumatizing to hear. And But you know what? There are so many young women and young men, you know, there are so many young men that are victims. And it just breaks my heart that this is now just it's something that happens every day. Yeah. That's what people look at it like. And they say it in that complete tone. Well, we understand that you're upset, but you know, this is 2021. It happens every day. No, it's not okay. And I just. We have to talk about it. Yeah. And it's not a, oh my God, this generation, y'all are so weak. No. We have been through some <laughs> shit. <laughs> Like, we not weak. We were strong as fuck. And yeah. and to be both soft and strong is what vulnerability looks like. And, you know, Lilu and I are both crying. <laughs> um, you know, and I did say this is going to be different for me because I have not shared something so raw with, with anyone on the podcast. Um, and I, I want to put my money where my mouth is. I invite you to do that. And mm-hmm. I was like, I want to reciprocate and show Lilu that I'm standing with her in sisterhood, um, holding your hand and facing the world that may judge or say it's too much or say yeah. we don't want to hear it. Because ultimately, I feel that in sharing these stories, it heals people that have also been through it. And it gives those who stand in judgment Mm -hmm. within the walls of a church or without the opportunity to develop empathy. Mm -hmm. And if we can develop empathy and compassion, maybe we can love one another well. Mm -hmm. Maybe we can love one another like Christ. Maybe we can be a more humane world if we can listen to pain and connect to pain over our political or religious ideology. And, you know, maybe he he won't (laughs) listen to this, but the man that was yelling at you at the rally, you know, I feel a mama bear protectiveness over you in that moment as you shared that earlier because I challenge him to listen to this Mm -hmm. and say a damn word to you Mm -hmm. about your life Mm -hmm. and where your soul is going. Mm -hmm. How dare he walk a mile in this woman's shoes? You're not strong enough. And, you know, so so for those listening who, who may feel this kind of like judgmental piece, you know, move past that and, and connect to the pain. Mm-hmm. And maybe it'll make you a kinder, gentler, better person in this world. Yeah. And um, so let me just for a minute. Since you said you were being vulnerable, let me flip the script a little bit. Oh, girl, <laughs> do it. <laughs> so you went through all of that with, you know, the church and these people that you 
growing to love and were family. I mean, they had to be. You didn't have any other outside source of friendship and communication. So you, it's almost like you faced your abusers, you know, at that analog. Mm -hmm. What, what made you, how, I mean, like, what were the steps that you took for healing? Like, these last Mm -hmm. few years, like, what, what have you done to just not completely break down? Because I know I have multiple times. I've just been like, I give up. I just (laughs) fucking give up. Thank you for asking me that question. I mean, I've been in therapy for 20 years. Okay. And I've been a psychologist for 11. And that is such a great blessing. I mean, I did not really understand I was a domestic violence survivor until after the divorce was finalized. And there were things going on with the children. um, And... I talked to a social worker, and it created a CPS investigation, one of a number that had happened um, subsequent to the divorce. But then she referred me, got on the phone, and referred me to the Family Abuse Center. Mm -hmm. And on the paperwork she printed off for me, it said, this is a a survivor of domestic violence. And just in that moment, it was so much it was traumatizing to have it validated um and so you know i i've i've walked through these these seasons and times um with this therapist that i've been seeing in waco for eight years who i love dearly um and as i collected more trauma because sometimes that happens you will have traumas that then just kind of build on each other um because your nervous system isn't regulated and um so being raped not once but twice in in the subsequent years and the the physiological ptsd i could notice and then i'm like okay i have ptsd i i also have ptsd from the marriage too so like kind of recognizing those things um and i've sought out other treatment modalities so I do somatic experiencing therapy which is a trauma-based form of therapy with a therapist out of um, Austin so that's every other week I go to therapy other every other week I see a psychiatrist Um, I started doing trauma-informed yoga therapy so I you know I'm constantly noticing the unhealed parts of me whether that be flashbacks or um, anxiety or suicidal ideation or whatever and then wanting to apply treatment to that Mm -hmm. but also there's been a learning process for me of what healthy relationship is including friendship and so kind of stumbling into relationships where it was still abusive Mm -hmm. because I was being used or controlled or financially um, taking taken advantage of and so um, you know, it has been this constant journey of incremental improvement and course correcting, and I'm aware of it, and I know it's going on. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, as a psychologist, I'm analyzing things all the time, <laughs> but as a trauma survivor, I'm also in my head yeah. all the time. So it can be very exhausting, um, but I'll say, you know, my children have kept me alive. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I love them so much when I have them, uh, the weeks I have them. It is both overwhelming and very grounding, and that helped me survive early on when I didn't have them. That was incredibly hard psychologically with dissociation, and I would just kind of walk around my house not feeling like I was human. Yeah. Or, like, if I left the house, there was a world out there. Like, I thought it was all pretend. And I'm like, oh, that's derealization. That's a symptom of PTSD. So my own expertise helped me stay functional Mm -hmm. and okay. But it doesn't mean that it wasn't painful and traumatic. And there are so many times, Lilu, where I wish I could allow myself to fall apart. Mm -hmm. And yet I can't. There are too many people that need me. And so it is a gentle, slow learning of how to take care of myself and how to prioritize myself and start to set boundaries in new ways as I know that I need to, both interpersonally and professionally with how much I work and all the things. But um, my own healing is not as fast as I want it to be. But that's the thing about healing it's never as fast as we want it to be. And, and sometimes when we try to make it happen all at once, we lose it because oh, it yeah. can't. <laughs> it just crashes. It just, it yeah. Yeah, it's definitely not a, I mean, there's been things happening to me since I was 15, you know. So yeah. it's, and it's finally like, I'm 37 and I'm finally starting to feel like, normal <laughs> because you have, found some yeah, peace I have, too. I have these great you know normal moments of course with my children and my you know colleagues and friends and all the things and like you know people that know me know my nightlife and how I I'm just a big you know promoter and all the things and but you know now it's just like okay I can get up I can go for a run I can do these things and when I don't have my you know my kids it's sometimes it's a little tough you know, but it's getting better. So that's progress, right? It's absolutely <laughs> progress. Getting better is is all of it. That is the healing. Just these incremental, mm-hmm. you know, you learn and you do things a little bit differently and you find peace, which yeah. I think is a profound marker in the healing journey is like those Times where you realize, like, I'm okay with my own energy. Mm-hmm. I can be alone because I'm at peace here. Um, and then there are times it's like, I cannot be alone with my own thoughts. Exactly. So, like, oh, I gotta get out of here. I gotta get out of here. I need an emotional support human or 10. Um, yes. <laughs> but, but it's all part of it. Um, and I, I'm really grateful that you, you've asked me my own some of my own things and I'm grateful to myself and proud of myself for sharing something that was hard for me to share um because I do ask that of the people that come on and and I'm willing to do that but you know when you've been traumatized so much people feel very unsafe Mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not someone who looks at the comments or cares about how many likes I get or whatever so you know when this goes out it will just be out and and for me, and I hope you feel this too, there's this trust in the integrity of we showed up today and did something hard mm-hmm. and it's beautiful mm-hmm. and we know what our intentions are. They are not to hurt, they are to heal. And so I just let it go. 
And, you know, sometimes I don't know if anybody listens, mm-hmm. but then I get messages from people I don't even know saying, I like your podcast. I'm like, oh, maybe someone's listening. But that's my hope. I hope that they listen. I hope that they heal. I hope that they admire your strength. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm being truly honest, I hope that people admire mine. Yeah. Um, I try not to self-promote very often, but maybe I should a little bit more. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, the one thing that I actually told this to one of my employees last night, he was having a really hard time. One of his friends was killed yesterday um, in a pretty traumatic way. Um, it was an accident. It was a car accident. But this employee of mine just, I mean, best worker, best attitude, nothing he wouldn't do. And I saw him coming in from the balcony. I was outside putting up Christmas lights. And uh, it looked like a completely different person. Um, his hair was in front of his face. It just, he almost looked just like a walking corpse, mm-hmm. pretty much. Something was wrong, and I could tell, because he normally looks like this flying rider, just gorgeous person, inside and out. Um, and he was drinking, and he was just, his friend, one of his best friends died didn't he was angry but in a calm manner and I was like and you know it's something that I think you and I both want to get out and it sounds really silly and he's like what's the point there's just no point of anything we're all gonna die one day I mean it's the inevitable and I was like it's okay for you to be feeling right now it's okay for you to be upset it's okay for you to be in your feelings he's like I just don't want you to think that this is how I am I was like I don't because I know the human that you are yeah and it's okay to not be okay and the biggest thing that I think your listeners get something out of is that is this is what I told him. I was like, without suffering, there isn't compassion. Yeah. And the fact that we're sharing our suffering and the things that have come and built from our suffering, it gives us compassion towards others. It gives you that strive to help people that, are suffering that aren't in a good spot. And I think your listeners, I mean, I hope that's what they take away. Cause that's something that I always tell people, you know, you don't know how that person is suffering. Yeah. And without suffering, there's no compassion and you have to have the compassion. I mean, you don't have to, but being a part of this human race, it's just, it's something that you hope for. Well, and it's what will heal us. Mm-hmm. You know, with so much darkness in the world, and I think COVID has really highlighted that. Yes. So much suffering, so much darkness. Compassion is the light. Mm-hmm. It's the light that is there in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And so I'm so grateful that that is your takeaway and, and maybe part of your message also, as, as you've shared today, to implore people to connect with compassion and and non-judgment and you know I think the hardest thing for me is to practice that for myself (laughs) (laughs) but you know people like you women like you heal me and I'm grateful I'm crying (laughs) well it's like I said you know that analog there's we don't know the person sitting next to us what the hell's going on in their head be kind and you've always been so kind and that's why I had to look at you and just be like thank you because it's people like you that also keep me going and this crazy life (laughs) 
you know, the small, the smallest of things, like you didn't know what you did for me that night. And I didn't know what I've done for you over the past few years. But it's just these small acts of grace and compassion can change someone, can be hope for someone. And I'm, I'm grateful that we get to kind of mutually vulnerably share about about us, yeah. <laughs> which is like this has never happened. So the listeners are at a front row seat to this happening in real time. Um, but I'm I'm profoundly grateful to have you here today, um, both for your story, the bravery of sharing about abortion. Nobody would share. I, I wanted it to be a human story in this current zeitgeist with the abortion ban and you know, I work with women who have walked that journey and there's so much shame and people are so willing to judge. And so just, Lulu, you are brave and courageous and fucking strong and you are a hero. I mean, I said it at the beginning of the episode and I feel it even more strongly now, but just thank you so much thank for your story. You. Thank you. And your love and your light and... <laughs> And what you've done for me and what you do for Waco and for women. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you, listeners. I am kind of hoping that you guys have cried a little bit because <laughs> crying is my favorite thing. And this was this was an, a beautifully emotional episode today. Um, a lot to think about. I'll, I'll continue to be thinking on this experience. But I hope that it has, as always grown you, grown your capacity to love self and love others and be gentler and kinder in this world. So we will catch you next time on the next episode of Sister Speak. Have a great week. Follow me on Instagram and Facebook at Dr. Emma J. Church for updates and podcast schedule. Catch the show on your favorite podcast platform or at roguemedianetwork.com.